0: I love yeah. how you use many quotes from the early church mothers and fathers, and you mention Evagrius of Pontus saying that love is the child of joy and peace. Then speak about an argument um, with your husband. So do priests and their wives actually have arguments? (laughs) And what was the lesson you want to share with us here?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, of course we argue. Um, You know, we're obviously human. And maybe we argue even more than other couples because the devil really likes to attack the unity of Christian families uh, in general, and perhaps even more so the clergy family.
2: Welcome to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. This is a conversation about authentic Christian faith, Coptic history, patristic writings, the family, arts and music, religious education, youth matters, evangelism, and much more. Bishop Suriel likes his coffee like he likes his conversation. Light, sweet, and scorching. We'll be joined by an array of guests who'll share their experiences, their backgrounds, and their insights to bring about an exciting discussion, and we hope you agree. Enjoy the podcast, and please welcome our host, Bishop Suriel. As we're joined by Phoebe farag Mikhail, the author of Putting Joy into Practice, Seven Ways to Lift Your Spirit from the Early Church, this will be part one of our two-part series titled, Joy in Times of Suffering. Here's His grace and our special guest. Your grace.
0: Irini Pasi, peace be with you. I welcome all of you wherever you may be right now. You may be in the car, on the train, at the office, or even still in your pajamas feeding the kids breakfast or relaxing at home after a long day's work. I would also like to welcome my guest this week, Phoebe Farak Mikhail from New Jersey, northern New Jersey, actually. Phoebe is the author of an, a book that was released last year titled Putting Joy into Practice. I actually have two copies of it. Putting Joy into Practice Seven Ways to Lift Your Spirit from the Early Church. The book was published by Paraclete Press and can be purchased through the publisher or on Amazon. And I will put uh, the information in the show notes. Welcome, Phoebe. And it is a great joy to have you with us today and Thank you next you so much, week. Sid. Or actually, today and next week for this two part series. And I hope you have some coffee yeah. <laughs> ready <laughs> as we delve into your fascinating book shortly, and that our viewers and listeners have their beverages ready too. Welcome, Phoebe. Thank you, Grace, so much. It's so good to see you again. Thank you. So here is a snapshot about Phoebe. Well, Phoebe is one of five children. Her siblings are Demiana, Anthony, Mary, and Martha. Phoebe is the oldest, and she is married to Father Bishoy Lamaim Mikhail and has three children, Mercurius, Mariam, and Abadir. Phoebe's parents migrated to the USA in the 1970s, and her parents have done an amazing job raising Phoebe, her brother, and sisters. In fact, they are all highly educated with postgraduate degrees and very successful in their careers. Phoebe's dad is also a Coptic priest, Father Athanasius Farag, serves in New Jersey, and is a dear friend of mine. Highly educated in theology and patristics, and completed his PhD at Union Theological Seminary in New York. He is the dean of the Pope Shenouda III Coptic Orthodox Theological Seminary in New Jersey. Phoebe was born in Egypt in 1978, and in fact, her birthday uh, falls on the Feast of the Apostles, which is July 12. Phoebe was born in Egypt in 1978, and in fact her birthday falls on July 12, which is the Feast of the Apostles in the Coptic tradition, and came to the U.S. with her parents in 1978, while her father studied theology in New York. Her family officially immigrated in 1989, when her father was ordained eventually settling in New Jersey. She returned to New York and completed her Bachelor of Arts at Columbia University, majoring in English and comparative literature. Then Phoebe moved to Washington, D.C. and began her work in education policy, international development, advocacy, and human rights. She completed her Master of Arts in International Development at the George Washington University while also serving the high school youth at St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church in Washington, D.C., when she was not extensively traveling for work. For five years, she split her time between Egypt and D.C. and established the Valuable Girl Project a mentorship program for girls and young women to empower them and help them achieve their potential. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about that uh, in a few moments. This program is still being implemented in Egypt with different organizations and has reached thousands of girls and young women all over the country. In fact, Phoebe is on the board of the Michelle Seuss Foundation which is funding one of the organizations in Egypt implementing this program. It was in Egypt where Phoebe met her husband, Bishoi, now father, Bishoi Lame Mikhail, and they got married in 2008. And we'll put up a, a lovely photo of both of them with uh, uh, Pope Shenouda III of blessed memory on their wedding day. Between 2007 and 2013, Phoebe represented the Coptic Church on women's issues in several ecumenical bodies. After her work in Egypt, Phoebe moved on to work in advocacy, governance, and human rights with organizations that included Amnesty International, Plan International, Save the Children, and the Global Partnership for Education. Living in the UK for a time before Father Bishoy's ordination to the priesthood in 2009. She and Father Bishoy returned to the US and this time to New Jersey, where they first became parents and when Phoebe started writing to be published. Phoebe is the author of Putting Joy into Practice Seven Ways to Lift Your Spirit. From the Early Church, published by Paraclete Press in April of 2019. This book, actually, was the number one bestseller on Amazon in the Christian Orthodoxy category. And that's not uh, an easy feat to reach, so congratulations on that. She has written many articles and essays for publications, that include Christian Christianity today faith and leadership and talking writing magazine her blog being in community and i hope that you will visit it gets thousands of views per month phoebe this is quite a remarkable career that you have had so far it's amazing <laughs>
1: Thank
0: you so much. Um, We shall be right back to begin part one of our conversation on joy in times of suffering. This is the title of our two-part series. And we will delve deeper with Phoebe into her book on how to live joyfully. So I have so many questions to ask you about your book. But first, I started to think of occasions in my life that brought me the joy you speak about in the book. The joy of giving. For me, it is a vivid memory of December 11, 2016, and the days following. In Cairo, at St. Peter Church, or famously known as Botrosea in the cathedral complex, with the suicide bombing that killed 29 and injured 47. How was this joyful, people may ask? Well, obviously it wasn't. It was very painful. But what happened after was... So what happened is a few days later, we were allowed to go and visit the injured in hospital. And I had the blessing of visiting many of them and seeing the great pain that they were going through and the suffering. But what surprised me was the forgiveness of these people when they spoke about the perpetrators of this evil crime and how they were willing to forgive and to forget and hoping that these people would repent and realize the error of their ways. For me, visiting these people that were in so much pain and suffering, for me, that was truly a great joy and a great blessing for my life. And I know that you speak about in your book the importance of visiting the sick uh, as one of the practices that brings joy into our lives. If I recall, you spoke about uh, on one of the feast days, I think it was uh, either Christmas or Resurrection, when uh, uh, Abuna Father uh, Bishoy and yourself and your children would go and to visit the sick uh, uh, on these special occasions, so do you have a story for us, Phoebe, other than the ones you mentioned in the book uh,
1: yes um, it is it is a little bit about visiting the sick, but it happened during a time where we weren 't allowed to visit the sick um, and actually it was uh, so this was around the march April time frame. When we were here in uh, New York and New Jersey, we were at the height of the covid nineteen um, uh, pandemic uh, we had we had thousands and thousands of cases uh, and it and uh, many deaths and it was it was really a hard it was really a hard time kind of a dark time in a sense um it was you know right when the schools shut down and we all had to go home and you know manage the kids' schooling from home. Um, there was even a point where Abuna had to self-isolate on another floor in the house because he had been exposed to somebody who, uh, who turned out to be infected and was in the hospital. And thank God, thank God he was, he, you know, he, he was negative and he, he didn't have it. And, uh, and we were able to get back together, but it was really, it was really a trying time for, uh, for many people. Um, and what I'm describing is just the normal stress um, that most people were going through, others had even worse, you know people who had loved ones in the hospital that they really couldn 't visit yeah um and so it was a time where I was struggling with this sense of not being able to do anything um Of course, I was very busy, so it was it did, i wasn 't looking for like something to fill my time, but more what to do about this crisis, you know, not being in the medical fields you know i was almost jealous of abuna because abuna at least you know had the list of all the names of the people who were serving in the hospitals and and all the people who were sick and he was praying for them and he was helping you know there were people in the church who were um you know asked him anybody who needs groceries any elderly you know we can help so he was very busy (laughs) with that um but I was, you know, I, I didn't know what I could do. You know, I did pray um, and I even wrote a prayer that I posted on my blog called the Quarantine Litany. Um, and it encouraged me a lot because I, uh, people, uh, I saw people sharing it a lot. And it, I felt, you know, glad that at least I could give some words of prayer uh, to people. But I, I still wanted to do more. And... So through prayer, um, I discovered a group of people in New Jersey who were sewing cloth masks for frontline workers um, and immunocompromised people uh, during the mask shortage. Uh, thank God we don't have a set, uh, shortage like this now, but at the time it was, it was pretty dire. Um, and so I wanted to help, but alas, I have carpal tunnel syndrome, so sewing was out of the question. And I don't have a sewing machine. I don't know how to use one very well, so um, I wouldn't have been able to help in that way. But then I discovered that what I could do was donate all my cotton flat sheets, gather as many cotton flat sheets as I could from people I knew and deliver them to people who were sewing. And I was even able to discuss, to deliver a used sewing machine from somebody at church who had one but was no longer using it to someone who was uh, sharing a sewing machine with her daughter. And so they were able to double the masks that they were able to produce and deliver. So I felt joyful that I was able to play one small part in giving during the, in giving back to the community in crisis despite all my own deficiencies. <laughs> um, and uh, you know and it, in a way, it was kind of my way of helping those who could visit the sick um, when we, where we couldn't.
0: Yeah, that, you know, it, it's really wonderful that you were able to think of ways during these difficult times of how you could assist them and bring joy in that way. It would be good mm-hmm. if you could send us that prayer so that we can put it in the show notes for those people that uh, may need it, because we're certainly COVID is not over, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, New Jersey and New York, and that area was hit very hard at the beginning, so it must have been a very difficult time for your family. Mm. Yeah. Yes. yes. So I, I want to begin with a, a quote um, from the invitation on page 8, which I think in many ways sums up how joy can be obtained, and uh, people can read it on the screen. You say... I struggled myself with joy, losing it and finding it, losing it again and finally realizing I can only really keep the joy I find if I give it away. Now, there is so much to unpack in that quote that you reveal throughout the book, but can you briefly explain what you mean here?
1: So, I wrote this book not because I'm an expert on joy. Uh, in fact, I'm, you know, if you if you if you ever spend enough time with me, you'll notice I'm not always a very joyful, you know, buoyant personality. <laughs> I'm more of an introvert. Um, you'll find me quieter more than you know, laughing or uh, smiling. Um, but uh, like everyone, even non-Christians. I have experienced joy at times in my life, and God wants to give his joy to every single one of us, so everybody gets to to taste joy in their lives. And we can all recognize, though, how easy it is for us to lose our joy, because there are so many challenges and so many thieves of joy. So I wrote the book mostly for myself, to discover what joy means in the Christian life, and to uncover the ancient practices our church has provided for us to experience it in an ongoing way and the quote that your grace mentioned um, very much encapsulates what happened um, sometimes in our search for joy away from the uh, away from the practices of the church that have been tried you know for centuries right um, more than that almost for millennia um, Uh, we're kind of grasping for air. And when we go back to what the church has taught us, um, that's when we discover how to actually orient ourselves to receive the joy that comes from God. And then we discover that the joy that God wants to give us is so much. And when we're ready and we're ready to receive it, we overflow. And the only way to keep having that joy is to share it with others. Through some of the very uh, practices that I mentioned in the book, and you know, your grace, your grace will notice that um, some of the practices are inner life, you know, like praying the psalms, and some of them are inv- involve the community, like visiting the sick. Um, and it kind of it's this beautiful cycle, you know, where you uh, you you think you're giving, and then you discover that you're actually receiving, um, and that's. Uh, that's where uh, that's where the, those words uh, that's what those
0: words refer to. Yes, well, the, those seven seven practices that you you mention, we'll get to them, I think, in uh, part two mm-hmm. of our uh, discussion. So mm-hmm. at the outset, you also speak about taking us on a journey to discover joy. Do mm-hmm. you see joy as something to be discovered, or is it just the feeling or emotion one has? For example. Someone wakes up in the morning and they are joyful. They have lots of fun activities lined up for the day. Is this joy?
1: Well, um, it's certainly excitement, uh, which is a good thing. And those fun activities might certainly bring a lot of happiness. Um, And those are both emotions. But joy goes a bit beyond that because joy is something you can experience even when you are not in in happy circumstances even when you're not in the middle of, you know, exciting plans. Joy is something transcendent. It's something that connects us to God, who is over and above all these fleeting feelings and experiences. Excitement and happiness and fun are good things, uh, but they do come to an end. With joy, however, there's an eternal aspect. Um, In the book, I quote Nietzsche, Um, And there's another quote that I actually don't mention in the book, but I have jotted down here. Uh, He says, all joy wants eternity, wants deep, deep eternity. And St. Paul alludes to this when he says, rejoice in the Lord always, right, in Philippians. Or is it Ephesians? It's Ephesians, I think. Um, So joy might sometimes feel fleeting here on earth, but if we open ourselves to it, we can experience it often. And we can hope for it without any barriers or challenges in the kingdom of heaven.
0: That's really, really important to remember uh, how you bring in scripture into this and also Mm. many different writers and the church fathers uh, Mm. and mothers. And I think that's really nice to go back to the early church uh, in all of this discussion that we're having. But could you tell us a little bit of how uh, the I- uh, the idea of the book came about?
1: Mm. So it came from a conversation I overheard in church. Um, somebody had gone uh, to speak to uh, Abuna Athanasius, uh, and uh, they were a relatively new convert, and they were asking him, it was right after the Feast of the Resurrection, and they were asking him, um, Abuna, do we fast Wednesdays and Fridays during the Holy 50 Days. So he told them, um, uh, no, you don't fast on Wednesdays and Fridays, you focus on the joy of the resurrection. And so they answered, oh, that's easy enough. Um, And then he said, no, it's not that easy. And so that conversation just stuck in my head. And I kind of mulled over it for a while. um, And I started writing about it. And I thought it would be a blog post. Um, and I had just at the time, um, we, uh, um, along around that time is when we were also working on the life of repentance and purity by His Holiness Pope Shenouda. And I was rereading the, 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 manu- the manuscript that Your Grace had uh, translated. Um, and so I was initially just going to focus on joy and repentance. Um, and then, uh, As I wrote, I recognized how much bigger this topic was and how much I wanted to learn more.
0: And certainly you did. (laughs) That's very clear in in the book. Uh, But certainly you would have got some good ideas from the book, The Life of Repentance and Purity, and then Mm -hmm. really expanded on that and uh, developed those beautiful seven practices that I can't wait for our audience to hear Mm -hmm. about in part two. But Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a monk in the monastery in Egypt, St. Bishori's monastery, and there was a certain time that I was struggling. And so I decided to translate another book by Pope Shunuda called Tears in Spiritual Life. It's a short book, but uh, it really had a great impact on my life as I was translating it and going through that difficult time. And that made me think about my own tears that I was shedding every day during my suffering. So why this subject of joy in particular? Was it because Mm -hmm. of personal struggles and suffering that you were going through?
1: There wasn't one particular incident, right, or something that happened that I could uh, point to, but everyone wants joy and everyone struggles to have it. And so... Um, I wanted to explore how we can have joy you know whether it's daily struggles or it's um, it's major struggles i had I of course had no idea that a year after the publication of this book we would be worldwide suffering through a pandemic and here in the us uh, going through so many different other um, uh, challenges uh, social unrest um, and all of these um, and all of these you know it turns out that Met much of what I wrote, I myself have to go back and take my own advice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: you know, and so, you know, one thing I when I was exploring it, one thing that uh, that was particularly important to me was that little-known fact that even among Orthodox, that our church is so joyful. And the church works really hard for us to remember and to live the joy of the resurrection. You know, and the... The great enemy of joy is death, and we can have joy in the first place because of Christ's death conquered, because Christ conquered death on the cross, and he, so it's through his crucifixion and his resurrection. So the church reminds us in so many ways, as if to say, every day, Christ is risen. Be joyful. <laughs> One example is the physical change we see in the church um, after Holy Week when we turn the dark curtains into the uh, white curtains, Uh, during the Feast of the Resurrection, and the change in the tunes of the hymns, uh, for example, from the mournful tunes to the joyful ones. On top of that, we don't celebrate the Resurrection only on one day. The feast is 50 days, and it's not just 50 days. We have a monthly commemoration on the Coptic Orthodox Church calendar for the Resurrection, and then it's not just every month. Um, It's also every Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection, um, especially anyone who goes to, gets to church early enough for the morning raising of incense. Almost uh, the majority of the Gospels in the morning is the gospel for the resurrection, is uh, one of the resurrection narratives in the Gospels. Um, and even more than once a week, every day in the morning prayer, we commemorate the resurrection. So this inspired me to explore a little bit more how the church helps us to have joy all the time. So, you know, I wanted to explore the topic more in terms of how to live joy both in times of difficulty and terrible suffering as well in our everyday lives. You know, I mentioned in the book, there's a story in the book about uh, one big struggle that happened right in the middle of writing it (laughs) when we had that big sewage flood in our basement. But as I mentioned before, I had no idea that a year later we'd all be dealing with much, you know, really big crises and uh, difficulties
0: yeah, yeah i I agree with you that the church gives us so many opportunities throughout the year, as you mentioned to remember mm-hmm. the joy of the resurrection um, and that's mm-hmm. you know shows us you know the importance of this practice of joy uh, in our lives, especially with the many difficulties that people uh, go through. <laughs> Let us take a short break and we'll be right back with some more questions for Phoebe what does the word joy mean to you can you define what joy is or isn't and what have you learned about joy during the process of writing this book
1: so when i started actually i didn't have a clear definition um i had an idea of what joy is and how it is connected to the resurrection um, and how you know, the ancient practices of the church help us to receive God's gift of joy. But I wasn't, it wasn't until I recognized the pattern of these practices that, I, that I, and I saw exactly what was happening that I realized that I could define joy by the experience of the giving and receiving of sacrificial love.
0: Mm. Can you explain a little bit what you mean by sacrificial love?
1: Well, it starts with the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Um, and then it goes from there to any, any kind of love that is offered without expectation of anything in return. Um, any, anything given out of, uh, not out of obligation, but out of, uh, out of love.
0: Mm. Yes. So when you get irritated by something at work or in your ministry, For me, for example, I might get irritated in settings where there seems to be lack of order or organization. It frustrates me. How do you bring the teachings of your book to transform your irritation into joy?
1: Yeah. Well, your grace points to those daily struggles, right? Because, you know, there are big, big struggles, but there's also these daily things, little irritations, um, uh, things that make us anxious, right? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, later we'll talk probably a little bit more about, uh, about this, but there's a chapter in the book called The Joy Thieves. Um, and in that chapter, it, it discusses something, um, something that the, the early fathers called the passions. Um, and these passions are, uh, another translation is carnal lusts, um, sometimes also thoughts. Um, but what they are, they're, they're, kind of basic human needs that when we allow them to overtake us and we allow them to, um, uh, either basic human needs or, um, or pleasures that when we allow them to, uh, uh, when we, we go after them as if they are joy, because this is kind of the struggle of our, um, of, you know, of the world, right. That we think pleasures are joy and we go after them and then they don't, they know they don't satisfy us. And the same goes for the passions. Um, and the fathers uh, mentioned seven or eight of them, and they include things like anger, sloth, um, despondency, um, and so uh, oh, pride. Pride is a really big one. Uh, and so the, you know these, these are the things that try to steal our joy. And if we remember in the beginning, we talked about the resurrection, the, de- the Christ's crucifixion and resurrection as um, conquering death, which is the great enemy of joy there are still these thieves and they, and these, they're, you know, they're the passions and they try to steal our joy on a more uh, regular basis. The way to address this are the practices, Mm. the practices of the church. And what these practices do is they help form us and they give us tools to, to, um, to fight back or to answer back. And in fact, Um, St. Evagris of Pontus uh, has a book called, I think it's called Talking Back, and in it he has a list of verses that every time you you get attacked by this thought you attack it with a verse, a specific verse, right? And many of the other desert fathers would say you get attacked um, by a passion that you uh, use one of the arrow prayers which is one of the practices we mentioned Um, and the only way to have those arrow prayers on hand when you want to, um, when you want to, uh, you know, push away a thought, right, or a sense of irritation, or whatever the, pas- the, the passion is that you're struggling with, um, you know, you uh, to pray to ha- to have that hour prayer at hand. It means you need to be praying them regularly on a daily basis. You know, almost I like to sometimes use that um, use analogy of having your quiver full of arrow prayers. Well, in mm-hmm. order to fill that quiver. We have to be praying our prayers on a daily basis, on a regular basis, so that when that moment comes and I need it, I can just pull out the arrow yeah. and attack the the thought mm. or the or the um, or the feeling or the emotion that might otherwise overtake me and cause me uh, to sin instead of mm. um, instead of having joy. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, that's one thing. And you know, your grace talks about irritation. For me, um, I mentioned in the book like there's a you know, I have a, I have a bad habit of, like, following the news <laughs> and um, sometimes obsessively following the news and realizing, you know, and thinking that by following the news, I'm actually doing something, <laughs> that somehow that actually will change things. Um, and it doesn't. It's actually more of a sense of pride. Like, I know that this is going on and somehow that's going to do anything. It's not. Better, better to read the fathers, right? better, to, better to read a spiritual book, um, and read, read the news or read the information I need, only in the, you know, in so much as it will allow me to be helpful and to, you know, um, uh, to actually do something productive with that. Yeah. But the general knowledge, you know, the or the obsessive, you know, following of that, uh, is a is a form of pride.
0: Yeah. yeah. Go, going back yeah. to the Arab prayer, um. Uh, mm-hmm. A favorite one of mine, and I'm sure of yours as well, is the Jesus prayer. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. A very short mm. but powerful prayer. Just remembering the name of the Lord Jesus Christ itself brings us joy. Yes. And yes. Uh, the other thing about the news, I remember when all of this uh, COVID-19 began, I was also you know, listening to the daily updates from the White House, And uh, it just became so depressing listening to it and seeing Mm -hmm. all these numbers, you know, rising so quickly. And then after I said, why am I watching this? I don't need to watch this. I should use my time in a more beneficial way, as you said, you know, to read something beneficial, something uplifting, to pray for the world, to pray that the Lord may, you know, remove this. uh, coronavirus from the world quickly and to return people to health so Mm -hmm. do do you think in general that joy is something that humans can achieve on a daily basis and how about during a pandemic or a crisis like what happened with the explosion in Lebanon a few weeks ago how does Mm -hmm. one achieve joy in such circumstances
1: yeah well the first thing I'll say is that Joy is not actually something we can achieve. Joy is something that is given to us from God as a gift. And so our role is to put ourselves in the position, orient ourselves, so to speak, to receive the joy, kind of like a cup turned upside down. Like we live our lives with our cups turned upside down, but we can't fill that cup unless it's right side up. And that's what the spiritual practices do. They orient us. Towards receiving joy from God Um, And what they do is they Help us to build that closer Connection with God As your grace mentioned the arrow prayers for example Praying the Jesus prayer and saying his name Helps build that closer Connection with God And so if we make uh, These practices our habit We're going to be more inclined to use them When we're in crisis And I you know when we're in crisis moments So I can't count how many times I've prayed the Jesus prayer when feeling You know when feeling uh stressed out about the uh you know about the coronavirus or about you know about um, about so many things going on in the world right I can't count how many times i've uh i've prayed the uh arrow prayers um, and uh you know they when we when we have these uh these practices at hand we're better able to they almost give us like a resilience to these uh these struggles and we're better able to manage them and have joy even in the midst of that suffering
0: i think that's very important uh, advice and certainly you know uh, especially what happened in lebanon all these people that lost their lives Mm -hmm. uh, was very very difficult and so i think if we utilize the advice that you give here would be Mm -hmm. very helpful in such circumstances I love yeah. how you use many quotes from the early church mothers and fathers. And you mentioned Evagrius of Pontus saying that love is the child of joy and peace. Then speak about an argument um, with your husband. Yeah. So do priests and their wives actually have arguments? <laughs> and what was the lesson you want to share with us here?
1: <laughs> well, you know, of course we argue. Um, you know, we're obviously human, and maybe we argue even more than other couples because the devil really likes to attack the unity of Christian families uh, in general, and perhaps even more so the clergy family. Um, the, th- the lesson, I think, is that joy is not happiness times 100, right? Sometimes we think joy is that, like happiness, but a lot of it, right? Or extra exuberance or lots of joking around. It's much deeper and it is connected to love and to peace. And so I imagine that when one puts joy into practice, one is also going to experience love and peace as well.
0: It's very, very lovely to to hear this. And uh, obviously, uh, families, even if it's a a clergy family, yes, I agree with you that the devil will uh, attack more and uh, try to put extra pressure on you. So to hear the ways that you deal with that um, Mm. is really wonderful. So uh, we have a question for you from Professor Aaron Repman who is a professor of philosophy at Trinity Christian College near Chicago, Illinois. We're going to call him. Hello, you're great. Hello, Professor Aaron Repman. Welcome to Coffee with Bishop Suriel. It's a great pleasure to have you with us.
3: Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be with you.
0: Thank you. So um, I think you have an important question for uh, Phoebe, and we would... uh, Love to hear from you.
3: Yes, thank you. It's, it's both an appreciation and a question. So first the appreciation. Uh, Phoebe, I, I first read your book this past spring, shortly after my first visits to a Coptic Orthodox church here in Chicago. Uh, this was shortly before the pandemic, uh, as the tradition says, closed the churches in every street and opened a church in every home. So I had those memories of those first visits to St. Paul Mission Church in Chicago in my mind, and I brought the freshness of that experience with me to reading your book. I also brought with me a continuing long-term interest, both personal and scholarly, in retrieving ideas and practices from early Christian writers for today, an interest that you and I share, obviously. (laughs) Now, with all of that recent and longer background, I was really interested in the way that you represented the spirituality of the Mm Agbeya. And I appreciated very much the way that you closed each chapter with thinking about concrete practices in daily life today. And I was absolutely delighted and intrigued to find out uh, from you, from reading you, how in the Coptic church, the Agbeya is for the whole church that it's not the special property of clergy and monastics, mm-hmm. as the Liturgy of the Hours has sometimes been understood in the West, misunderstood in the Western churches. Mm-hmm. Now, my own tradition is the Reformed family in the Western church. And historically, we look to John Calvin as one of our important teachers. We recognize other church fathers and mothers uh, as well, of course. Uh, but I'm thinking about Calvin here because he was insistent that the life of prayer and asceticism was for the whole people of God, not just for clergy and monastics. In fact, his complaint about monasticism, as it was known in the Roman Church in his time, was not that he wanted to abandon the call to holy living, but he wanted to reject the idea that that life was only for a few. So my question, thank you for that. Uh, your patience with that long appreciation, my question comes out of that. It has to do with the way in which your representation of the Coptic tradition also reaches out to other Christian traditions. I really appreciate the way that you present joy as a universal Christian calling, while also consistently highlighting the particular ways it is present in the Coptic church's own charism. That's a real achievement to write deeply about your own tradition while at the same time being generous and receptive to others. In your thinking and writing about joy, what would you say is the particular set of gifts that the Coptic Church has to give to the wider Christian family?
1: First, thank you so much for the, for the very kind words um, about the writing and about the book. And I'm, I'm really heartened about how, uh, how you've been able to also connect it uh, to your own tradition. Uh, that makes me very happy because that was, that was one of the goals that I would be able to talk deeply about my own tradition and still help anyone reading it, find a way to connect it with theirs. Um, and so, uh, so I'm very I'm very joyful <laughs> that, uh, that 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 you that you you were able to uh, that it's done that it's done that the book has done that for you, um, uh, and so in response to your question about the gifts that the that the Coptic Church has given to the wider Christian family, um, for sure as you've mentioned actually the pray, practice of the Psalms and praying the hours is definitely one. It appears in almost every Christian tradition in some form or another. Um, in the West, it's most uh, commonly known through the Book of Common Prayer. Um, the daily praying of the Psalms at certain hours was a, an Alexandrian Jewish tradition that the Christians in Alexandria maintained. So it started from the very beginning. And as you mentioned also, the monastic tradition, which was born in the Egyptian desert. So in the book, um, I mentioned St. Bichomius, whose community monasticism inspired the Benedictine rule. And a hallmark of the, 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 the Pachomian and the Benedictine rules is hospitality. And I think that the spiritual hospitality of the Pachomian Kunanea plus the Middle Eastern hospitality of the Egyptian people are certainly a gift to the wider Christian family. Um, speaking of hospitality um, and COVID-19, the Pahomian community of monasteries also had hospitals that served their villages. My sister, who, um, His Grace mentioned uh, earlier, and one who's talking about my bio, Dr. Mary Farag, she wrote something about this actually on my blog. Uh, And I didn't know this at the time of writing my book, that St. Pachomius actually died from a plague. um, And that his monastery's hospital served many sick people at that time. And his major concern was not whether people lived or died, because they did their best according to their knowledge of the care for the sick. And, they saw ultimately that it was in the hands of God. You know, they did their part, and the rest was in the hands of God. Um, but what we heard most about was the communal bond of love in these communities. And so, the care part of modern healthcare comes from this early Christian tradition too. So, you know, praying the Psalms and hospitality are two of the practices that I talk about in the book, and I think these along with the monastic tradition and all its riches, are some of the greatest gifts the Coptic Church has uh, has given to the wider Christian community.
0: Uh, Professor Aaron, would you like to respond at all? Uh,
3: just gratitude for, um, for continuing to open this um, sharing uh, between your church tradition and other church traditions. May we uh, find more points of contact like this.
0: Thank, Thank you. Th- Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Professor Aaron Repman, for joining us today and for your thoughtful insights and your question. And thanks, Phoebe, for your response. We hope that you join us on another time, uh, Professor Aaron.
3: Thank you. It's been my great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Well,
0: thank you, Phoebe, for sharing these insights with us about joy today. And so we will conclude part one of our conversation here, And we'll be back next week to continue our conversation and get to the crux of how to achieve this joy using Phoebe's seven practices. Until next week, stay safe and well, and be inspired by the Holy Spirit.
2: Be sure to tune in next week when His Grace will be joined again by Phoebe Farag-Mikhail, the author of Putting Joy into Practice, Seven Ways to Lift Your Spirit from the Early Church. This will be part two in our two-part series titled, Joy in Times of Suffering. Don't miss out on this stimulating conversation over a cup of coffee. And make sure you have a copy of her book handy to better follow the discussion. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsuriel.org. And don't forget, after you listen, you can really help out by rating the show. Thank you for listening to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsuriel.org. And always remember, the best way to start any morning is with God and a cup of coffee.